Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, folks. First of all, I'd like to extend our own um, best wishes for the full recovery of President Trump and uh, First Lady Melania. Refuash Lema, as we say in Hebrew, uh, quick, easy healing to both of them. I'm sure they'll make uh, their way uh, through this uh, crisis, uh, if you can call it that, as quickly as possible and as painle- painlessly as possible for all our sakes. So um, again, we, we wish to um, wish them full and speedy recovery uh, from this show. And I'm sure that everybody who works on this channel would uh, want to join me with that. Now, what I want to talk to you about on, uh, in this um, episode of the show is the issue of uh, white supremacy. Because clearly there was a um, kind of a concentrated attack, coordinated and concentrated attack along these lines uh, after the debate. So before the debate, they had this whole tax thing that didn't seem to have had uh, uh, very long legs, where they basically showed that Trump uh, paid little income tax. But of course, that's uh, kind of just a hoax because people like him pay uh, huge taxes, just often not income taxes, but real estate property taxes, excise taxes, payroll taxes, and so on. So this is all nonsense and didn't seem to have had much of an effect. So, uh, And uh, it, at least to me, it seemed clear that uh, Trump won the debate against both uh, Chris Wallace, Wallace and um, uh, Joe Biden hands down. So uh, they went with this whole um, white supremacy angle. And I think that this is a an important issue that um, has to be addressed. And uh, what we all know is that white supremacy is an extremely negative brand, as well it should be if you look at its kind of simple definition. So, you know, whenever we hear this, this phrase, these words, white supremacy, what we, the connotations that we have are these uh, substantially criminals with, you know, skinheads, with swastikas tattooed on their foreheads, you know, running around and trying to find some black or brown people or Jews to beat up. So that's the kind of the first connotation of white supremacy. Uh, and it's also related to this whole uh, Nazi idea. And, and uh, um, both of these... Uh, are actually a kind of a bait and switch. It's a kind of a scam that the Democrats are trying to pull all, to pull over the, the American voting public. And unfortunately, uh, the establishment Republicans are only too happy to assist them with that, uh, with per- perpetrating that fraud on the American people. And the reason I'm saying it's fraud is for, for a number of reasons. One is that in America, the, the, those people that have swastika tattooed on their foreheads, they do exist, but they are very few, 
And as far as various criminal elements go in America, uh, they are among the very smallest ones. So in America, there are several criminal organizations, the MS-13 gangs, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, uh, just irregular organized crime. So there's a number of uh, criminal groupings in America, uh, and certainly those uh, old-fashioned, uh, let's call them uh, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, they belong to this uh, grouping of criminals, but they, they make a very, very small uh, component of it. So, of course, people like that, as, as Trump himself said routinely, have to be condemned completely. And he said that right in Charlottesville. You know, so the KKK and all of these types of clowns, uh, there is not clearly and, and nobody wants to be associated with them and they should be condemned uh, by any, by, by, with every kind of language, just like any other criminals. But we have to remember that they are a very small portion of the total population of criminals in America and they are not the ones that are perpetrating crime on a massive scale uh, that we see in American cities right now that's called rioting and burning down the American city, extorting businesses, extorting private people, you know, trying to force them to do stuff like raise their fists in the air when they're out to have a good time and dine with their loved ones. That, that's, those things are not done by any white supremacists. They're done by Black Lives Matter and Antifa. So why am I calling it a kind of a bait and switch? I'm calling it a bait and switch because what the Democrats, uh, the totalitarian progressives of which the Democrats now are kind of a subset, what they want to do is they want to radically change and expand this idea of white supremacy. What they want to do is they want to call or to brand the entire concept of Western civilization as quote unquote white. And I wanna say right here at the onset of this uh, program that uh, this is not the skin color. So if white means civilized, if white means polite, if white means somebody who respects the property rights of others and the personal rights and freedoms of others. Then, for example, the late Herman Cain, I was a huge fan of his. He's the whitest person that I have ever known virtually through, you know, not personally. And I am a Jew with a white skin. I never consider myself white as such, but uh, my skin is white. Uh, well, Mr. Keynes, the late Mr. Keynes of blessed memory, his skin was black, but he was far whiter than me because he was a much better gentleman than I uh, can ever aspire to be. And I can only hope to live up to some fraction of the example that he had set for us. So that's what's happening. What's happening is that the, the totalitarian uh, progressive left is trying to brand things like uh, God-given freedoms and liberties, God-given rights, they want to call that white. They want to call property rights white. They want to call your right to 
live a life that is not impeded uh, by government. In other words, the, the, the idea of a limited government, which was so basic and fundamental to the creation of the American Constitutional Republic, they want to call that idea white. So they kind of uh, appropriated a word that that is a word, a name for a color, actually not even a true color, but combination of all colors. They appropriated this word and it has connotations to the color of one's skin and so on. And they made it, they made that word apply to the entirety of um, a, a certain system of beliefs and ideologies, philosophical, religious, and political, upon which the West, and specifically America, is founded. And by attaching this uh, moniker, white, white supremacy, to that totally different concept than just a few people uh, who uh, are full of hate, they are basically undermining, or trying to undermine the whole foundation of the American Republic. And that's what's so dangerous with that, about that uh, idea that they're doing. And they're doing it fully consciously because they understand how negative this brand white supremacy is and how utterly scared of it uh, the Republican uh, establishment politicians are. So they're using it as a cudgel uh, to basically uh, whip them in, into submission, while at the same time expanding or basically switching the definition of white from or white supremacy from uh, a bunch of a small group of criminals to the whole concept of Western civilization in general Amer- and the American Constitutional Republic uh, in in particular. Uh, so uh, there is a reason why President Trump is reluctant sometimes to repeat, to repeat his denunciations of white supremacy. Um, the first reason, of course, is that he doesn't want to get caught, unlike uh, the totally stupid other Republicans uh, in Congress and the Senate and elsewhere. He understands that the beast can never be satiated. In other words, it doesn't matter how explicitly and how often he denounces white supremacy, they will always just straight up lie, like they're doing now, and say that he had never done it. And in addition to this lying, or instead of it, they will just say that he has not um, denounced it or condemned it in strong enough terms. And no terms that he can possibly come up with are ever going to be strong enough. So that's one reason that he doesn't want to constantly do it because it will be it's, it becomes just a an exercise in futility and in a, in a perverse sense if he keeps talking about it, it he he um, helps the democratic agenda of branding himself with this negative brand. So there is a lot of wisdom in President Trump not being overly. I have to say, willing to constantly, constantly denounce this idea of white supremacy. But I think that there is a beyond that. I think that President Trump, again, 
unlike all the other Republicans, understands that the white, what, what is meant uh, by the word white, by um, the, the progressive left, has not to do with the color of uh, a person's skin. What they mean by the word white is uh, the system of beliefs that a person uh, holds. So, uh, the, for example, if you take Antifa, uh, most of them, if not all of them, are white. They're, they're all rich white kids. And, however, when you look at, uh, if, if you look at whiteness as a kind of a cultural concept, these people are not at all white. Because why, uh, in, that, in that context, white is the idea of being free. White is the idea of being, of believing in individual freedoms. White is the idea of believing in the supremacy, not of any skin color or race or religion or, or, or anything like that. White, uh, as the left defines it, is the idea of the supremacy of the individual over the collective, right? And so... The people who, the, the Antifa people who are pushing a totally totalitarian ideology, in other words, they're pushing the, an, an ideology of communism, fascism, um, and so on. Uh, th- those are all the ideologies in which individual freedoms count for nothing, in which individuals count for nothing. The only thing that counts is the collective. And... Um, the, the, the state is everything, right? Those are statist ideologies. So these white-skinned Antifas are, from that perspective of white as, a, as an ideology, there couldn't be more the opposite of white. Okay? Uh, Herman Cain was much whiter than any of them. And so, uh, and, 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 and there are many uh, African-American, uh, Asian... Um, Hispanic uh, people uh, who are much whiter than those genetically or superficially white Antifas, right? And 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 it's interesting that uh, those uh, people of color, let's call them that, because that's what they like to be called, who are of this totalitarian mindset, they don't. They they basic what they basically say to people like the you know the, the, those uh, African Americans and other people of color who support President Trump or support the Constitution. They call them all kinds of names, right? They they say, oh, ba-, actually, Joe Biden said it. Joe Biden said, if you're if you're not vote, he, he told he told it to African American voters, right? He said, if you're not voting for me, he said, you ain't black. What he's basically telling these blacks, these people who have a dark skin, he's telling them, if you're not voting for me, in other words, if you're not voting for this totalitarian ideology that I espouse, or at least I am the spokesperson for, then you're not black, you're white. In other words, right? So he's calling them white, as uh, using the term white as a kind of a, Ideology. So again, the terms white and black, which have this enormous racial baggage around the world, but also in, but specifically in America, they don't mean anymore anything that has to do with uh, skin color. Uh, you know, I, 
for example, and, and I believe everyone in this station has no, um, pays no particular attention to anyone's skin color. Skin color is, uh, to use a cliche, skin, de- skin deep, and it has not to do with anything. The only thing that has to do with anything is a person's set of beliefs. And you know what? If our uh, adversaries, if our enemies in the totalitarian camp want to call the set of beliefs that espouses the American Constitution, Western civilization, the American Republic, the American Constitutional Republic, if they want to call that white, well, that's fine by me. Then, you know what, in that sense, I, you know, call me a white supremacist. <laughs> I, I, I love black people, people of any color, but what I don't love are people who want to destroy America. So if they want to say that people who, who, who want to destroy America are not white, but people who want to keep her going for the next 200 years and beyond are white, well, then there's a lot of pride to be had in being white. And kudos to all the people whose skin is not white for being in this camp, even uh, j- just like people whose skin is white. So uh, we have to understand here, folks, that Uh, This is an ideological battle and that our enemies will use any means available to them, no matter how low, to win it. More of that in the next segment. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Welcome back to the show, folks. I want to continue with this uh, discussion of white supremacy and um, talk a little bit about its roots um, or the roots of Western civilization and about how white supremacy connects or does not connect uh, to the original um, Nazi Germany or to the national socialism in uh, that arose in Germany in the early 1930s. And um, let us start with uh, kind of what is Western civilization since they want to attach this label of white to it, or even white supremacy. And um, um, Western civilization is um, a set of um, beliefs, philosophical beliefs, moral beliefs, uh, religious beliefs, and um, uh, as well as, uh, you could almost call it scientific and technological um beliefs or scientific and technological methodologies maybe would be a better uh, term for it. And um, so Western civilization dates 
back to antiquity uh, and uh, which 3,000 years or so gave rise to this idea of a singular creator. So that's the idea of monotheism. Uh, And that's an idea that uh, kind of was floating around the Middle East, Egypt, uh, and also Mesopotamia around where Iraq is today. But it was really, uh, it really has coalesced in the narrow strip of land between the River Jordan and the uh, Mediterranean Sea that we call Israel. And uh, it, this, this idea of a singular creator who is uh, involved in the world, not in the same sense that uh, some of the spirits of the rocks and waterfalls are, but more so in the sense of enforcing, or not even enforcing, but um, assigning to the world a moral code and challenging his creations, i.e., human beings. In other words, only human beings among all of God's creations are given are given a free will, uh, and 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 not only the free will, but the kind of a yardstick. So you know, when we I'm an engineer, when we think about engineering, we can always say, well. Can you affect something? Can you actuate? And then we say, well, can you measure it? And if you can actuate and you can measure it, then the next question becomes, do you have a processing unit? Do you have a kind of a brain which can run a program, an algorithm, and based on that algorithm, decide upon a course of action that would then be transmitted to the actuators? Well, human beings are kind of like that. We have, God gave us um, a metric with which to judge good and evil. We all know in our, in, in our innermost soul, we know uh, unf- unfailingly, we always know what is right and what is wrong. We always know that. Uh, we can pretend not to know it. We can lie to others and we can lie to ourselves and we all... Uh, do some more often, more often than others, but this is just a, those are just lies. The truth is that we always know we have God gave us a completely accurate and completely precise instrument. Uh, it's embedded in our soul, with which we can tell right from wrong. So that's one thing. The other thing is we have actuators. We have our hands and we have our feet. And we can do things with our hands and our feet that will promote either evil or good. And finally, we do have a brain. And that brain can run different programs. And here is where God separated us also from robots because he did not program us. He only told us uh, that choosing good or, or um, using our brain to calculate inputs into our hands and into our feet, which would promote good over evil, would be the right thing to do. But he never forced us to do it. And, and probably he could have. You know, we have all kinds of robots that sweep floors and weld pieces of metal together and things of that nature. We don't give them the choice to weld or not to weld. 
But we are not robots. God gave us a choice. He gave us a choice to do nothing. He gave us a choice to do good. And he gave us the choice to do evil. However, he did point out to us that doing good is much in every way superior to doing bad. Choosing right is a better choice than choosing wrong. And he kind of left it at that. This moral foundation of human behavior is Judaism's uh, biggest contribution to Western civilization. And it percolated into Western civilization through the instrument of Christianity, which adopted many of the Jewish beliefs, and especially the beliefs around this concept of a just and moral universe in which human beings are agents with full agency, but also with full freedom to choose right or to choose wrong. This uh, moral aspect of uh, human behavior is the first foundation or the first leg upon which, or the first pillar upon which Western civilization rests. The other pillar is uh, originated in in the in the axis between Athens and Rome, somewhat later, just just a little bit later, but also overlapping with the development of Judaism, and that is the axis axis of aesthetics, science, and technology. The Greeks and the Romans were uh, unsurpassed, still are unsurpassed, in their understanding of aesthetics. If you go to, I know it's difficult to do today, but on the other hand, there are also electronic means. But if you go to, for example, the, uh, <clears throat> the British Museum in London, which has the biggest collection, I believe, in the world of uh, Greek pottery, you can see the exquisite aesthetics of ancient Greece. And by the way, the secret of manufacturing this pottery has been lost together with, with, with those ancient Greeks. So we cannot really reproduce it in a, in a true sense. And then, of course, the Romans really invented engineering. They, they, they um, invented this whole concept of massive building of... of uh, um, and I know that this was also done in China and so on, but uh, in the West, uh, our engineering and technological um, DNA comes from Rome, and or or you could say from Greece and Rome. So basic. So basically, we have this. The second pillar is 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 this sense of aesthetics and the desire to advance our understanding of the universe, not only in a metaphysical way, but also in a physical way, through mathematics uh, and uh, technology. But then there is the final and third pillar, and that pillar uh, is perhaps the most visible to us today, or at least it was at the time of the founding, for example, of the American Republic. And that pillar is the pillar of individual freedom. And it comes from Northern Europe. It comes from uh, Saxony in Germany and 
uh, and and uh, from England, where Saxons and Angles settled uh, about fifteen hundred years ago. Uh, so so these people, these um, Northern Europeans, for reasons that have a lot to do probably with the harsh climates in which they lived and so on, um, formed themselves into these small but fiercely independent and I guess you could say today democratic societies. Now I know that that was also true in Athens and also in the first few centuries of the existence of the Roman Republic. So there is overlap, but the idea of the individual as um, an empowered entity that uh, has tremendous agency, but with that agency also tremendous responsibility to act in just moral ways that promote goodness in the world. That idea is very much an idea from Northern Europe and specifically England. And it was these ideas, these these uh, pillars of morality, aesthetics, science, technology, and individual freedom that found their way so exquisitely into the American Constitution. And it was not by chance, by any stretch of the imagination. The framers of the Constitution were keenly aware of uh, what transpired in the world in the 3,000 years prior to them sitting down in Philadelphia to, to formulate the Constitution. They knew everything there was to know about the moral teachings that originated in, the, in Judea uh, and uh, the history of uh, the ancient uh, Greeks, Romans, and of course their home country, substantially of England. So when they, when they wrote the Constitution, they, you could say, synthesized all of these elements uh, that pre-existed into uh, a document that since then is the unsurpassed and probably unsurpassable um, manifestation of what it is to be Western and to a large degree what it is to be civilized. And that is really what the enemies of freedom, in other words, progressive globalists, the likes of every democratic politician, but also George Soros, the tech oligarchs, what, what these enemies of freedom uh, call white is, again, it has not to do with uh, anyone's skin color. It's exactly that um, distillation of, 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 of what it means to be Western, what it means to be free, that is expressed in the American Constitution. To them, the American Constitution is white. I want to pivot now to this idea that uh, Nazis, the, the actual Nazis in, in, in 1930s Germany, were somehow white supremacists. And that idea is ridiculous on its face. First of all, uh, the Germans called themselves Aryans, which is another word for Iranians. So they did not even claim really a white-skinned origin. That's one. Two, they started wars, first and foremost, not with the Jews, 
who, who are, let's say, not white, but with pretty much every other um, nation or race that is white. I'm talking about white from the perspective of skin color. So they attacked France, which of course is white. They attacked Holland, white. Belgium, white. England, white. Russia, or you know, Poland, white. Russia, white. Uh, Norway, white, whiter than white. So Germans, the Germans, the Nazi Germans, waged war just about every white, also of course America, not to forget. So the Germans uh, waged war against every substantially white nation that has ever existed. So to say that the Germans were somehow white supremacists from the perspective of white as a skin color or as a race is simply untrue. They fought against substantially only white people. They could have chosen, for example, if they saw if they hated blacks so much, they could have gone to Africa and fought with black people in Africa. But when they went to Africa, to Northern Africa, they didn't fight with the local brown people. They fought with the white English and Americans who were there protecting their geopolitical interests. Also, the Nazi culture, and more importantly, the Nazi culture is not white, but anti-white. If you, if you consider whiteness not as a skin color, but as a philosophical, moral attribute. Uh, Nazism, fasci- fascism, um, is, belongs to a group of statist ideologies, just like globalism, communism, socialism, and so on. In that sense, it is antithetical to the idea of whiteness as the idea of, as the epitome of Western civilization, as the, as the embodiment of individual freedoms and the supremacy of the individual over the collective. In Nazi Germany, the collective was everything. The individual was nothing. And that is a complete and utter betrayal of their own roots as Northern Europeans. Because prior to the rise of uh, Hitler in in Germany, um, the rights of the individual were supreme. Individuals in Germany prior to Hitler enjoyed a set of freedoms that we can only dream of in America today. But with the rise of Hitler, the the, the um, rights of the individual were completely subjugated, or the interests of the individual were completely subjugated to the interests of the state, the collective, which is a very Oriental, Eastern, in fact, Aryan or Iranian ideology, but certainly not a white or Western ideology. So perhaps it is fitting that Hitler himself uh, was was uh, a short little guy with ugly features and black hair because it was more it was his countenance if you want to uh, use it use this expression that more fitted or fitted better 
the anti-white nature of the regime that he uh, invented. Much more so than those poster children with the white braids and, you know, locks of white hair. So to summarize this uh, th- this episode, this uh, segment of the show, uh, I would only say that uh, whiteness as the color of uh, anyone's skin is utterly meaningless. Whiteness as uh, a political, scientific, aesthetical, technological set of ideas, beliefs, and methodologies is probably a bad name, but if that's the name they want to use, then so be it. More so, more on this in the next segment. As we say, let the silent voices be heard. Shadow Bannon, editing, censorship, blocking, and adherence to political correctness are seen as serious threats to our God-given right to free speech. Suppressing free speech, the very cornerstone of our society, is not in the best interest of our listeners, readers, and those who provide our content. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? The good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM Sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L dot sleep. Welcome back to the final segment of the show, folks. In this segment, I'd like to talk about how we can deflect or fight the usage of this uh, racial terminology by our enemies, which they use uh, and have used so very effectively to shut us up and render us um, impotent. And basically just um, win and win and win. And that's what they've been doing by branding us racists and white supremacists and all that kind of stuff. And of course, our political leaders, excluding only a few, substantially only President Trump, maybe on just a few more. Ted Cruz has been pretty good lately. But the rest of them, at the merest whiff, of being branded with this brand of racism or white supremacy, they fold and basically um, wave the white flag of surrender. And it doesn't have to be that way. Because we have to differentiate between two things. Uh, 
and be very clear about that. Saying that somebody whose skin is white is superior to any other human being uh, whose skin may be different shades because of the color of his skin is repugnant. That's what we call being racist. The idea that an individual who is white-skinned is a priori, without knowing anything else about him or her, is somehow superior to a similar individual about whom we know nothing else, but we know that their skin is not white. This idea is uh, repugnant beyond belief uh, and has to be condemned in every possible way. It, and, and more than that, this condemnation is not the most important part here. More importantly, it's just not true. In other words, it's simply not true. If you uh, take an individual whose skin is white, and that's the only thing you know about him, in no way, shape or form can you, can, can you say that that individual is in any way superior to an individual uh, whose skin is not white. So that is something that's very clear. However, if we must adopt, and I, and I do so very reluctantly, the definition of Western civilization, and the definition of the American Republic itself and its constitution, if we must adopt those concepts as white, you know, I would use that in quotation marks, if the word white does not mean the skin color of an individual person, but it means the set of ideologies, beliefs, methodologies, and so on that define America as a constitutional republic and define the West, well then, I, I think it's completely okay to say, and I think it's in fact true to say, that these ideologies, this civilization that we call the Western civilization, is indeed superior to any other civilization. So while we cannot say without committing a gross error of fact and also being obnoxious, that a white person is superior to somebody who is not white, I think it's completely okay to say that, and I say it again reluctantly, but let's just use it, the white civilization, the Western civilization, superior to is in fact superior to every other civilization that has ever been developed on our planet. And I think that's just true. And the reason that I say that it's true is that if you look at uh, the other major civilizations in the world, be they Chinese and its derivatives like like Japanese, be they... um, even Russian, which is very strongly influenced by those Oriental um, aspects, be they Indian from the subcontinent of India, uh, be they Muslim from originating again in the Middle East and and and, North, and, and spreading over Northern Africa and um, parts of uh, the Indian subcontinent and so on, 
Well, those civilizations have certainly contributed much uh, to humanity. And they have enriched the human experience with their own uh, incomparable and often very, very fine aesthetics, uh, morals, literature, literature, music, architecture, art, uh, technological uh, achievements, and so on. But the truth of the matter is, and it's a big but, the truth of the matter is that the world that we live in today is completely defined by the products of the Western civilization and only the Western civilization. In other words, when you have a headache and you take uh, Tylenol, that's Western civilization. When you fly in an airplane for your, to your business meeting, that's Western civilization. When um, you undergo a CT scan so that your surgery can be less painful and more successful, that's Western civilization. But there's, there are also things beyond technology. Uh, and I'm talking about religious and moral aspects. While all human beings, and not just those who participate in the Western civilization, were, were uh, endowed by the Creator with the ability to tell right from wrong, we know that there are many cultures in which the impetus to do so is not as strong as it used to be at least in the West and hopefully will be again. So, for example, the idea of not being cruel to animals is a purely Western idea. We know, for example, I mean, I, I used to go to Japan for business uh, very often, about once a month for over, over a decade. And so I became quite familiar with the Japanese culture and its things good and bad, or its attributes good and bad. And it's an amazing culture. But when it comes, for example, to animals, um, there's a common Japanese dish where they take a, a small fish, and they call it aji, it's a little bigger than a sardine, and they fillet it, in other words, remove its uh, flesh without killing it. And then they put the head and the uh, kind of the skeleton, the backbone, on a skewer and serve its own flesh raw right next to it in pieces. And the fish is served to the table gasping for air while... Uh, so the fish is gasping for air while... Uh, the diners partake of its flesh. This is very common in Japan. And it's considered an art form for the chef to be able to flay the fish like this without killing it. And we know, of course, in China and so on, that there's a lot of this boiling things alive and so on. And the reason, and it's not that the people who do this, whether they're on the side of the, uh, on this side of the kitchen counter or the other side, it's not that they they're evil uh, 
per se, but it's just that this idea of kindness to animals is, is lacking from their culture. And it's lacking also from the Muslim culture. And the idea of animals as pets is a very Western idea. And the idea of, of animal welfare is a very Western idea. Um, now, let's turn our gaze to the very topical um, question of slavery. Slavery, in other words, the ownership of one human being by another human being has been a fact of hum in human history, has been a fact and a presence since the earliest days of civilization everywhere. So from the Aztec to the Chinese, from the Maya to, to Sub-Saharan Sub Africa, from Russia to England, everywhere there were slaves. The only place where they were not slaves were places where, which were more tribal than civilized, for example, in North America or South America or among the Inuit and so on, or in tribes in places like Australia, Borneo. But with civilization, uh, and one of the, I guess you could say, horrors of civilization, uh, developed this concept of slavery. And slavery persisted in civilized societies for as long as there were civilized societies everywhere, except in the West. And in the West, starting with England and other Western European countries, and followed by in, in, in the kind of in the late 18th century or mid 18th century, and followed by the United States and by Russia in the mid to late 19th century in the 1860s, slavery was abolished. Right? So the only civilization that abolished slavery was the Western civilization. And by the way, in the world today, the West, the true West, of which there are not many places remaining, is the only civilization, the only part of the world which does not have slaves. If you go to somewhere like China, while they may not have literal chattel slavery where you can sell people for money, they certainly have, and you know, there's all this aspect of or, uh, uh, trade in human organs and so on, and that's even, even setting that aside, saying that, okay, well, that's an illegal activity. But even if you look at how the Chinese society is set up right now, their internal passports and people cannot just move from, you know, Tibet or Sichuan to another province or to the capital city. Uh, there is strict controls of people's movements. Of So they are, if not slaves, then at least serfs, many of them, if not most of them. And perhaps in a country with a population like China of, what is it, one and a half billion or something like that, um, maybe that's even necessary because otherwise you could have a run on the cities. In other words, the big cities would experience such an influx of people from 
the countryside are from smaller smaller cities that their infrastructure would simply collapse. So I don't know if it's necessary or not necessary, but the truth is that it was the Western civilization that abolished slavery in its entirety and granted those ex-slaves full rights on paper initially and later also in reality. So this, this idea by our enemies, by the progressive left, that they want to brand uh, Western civilization with all these original sins of colonialism, of um, being of cruelty to other people, of uh, slavery. Certainly, here and there, the Western Westerners could be very cruel. I mean, the Belgians in Mozambique, as late as the nineteen sixties. I'm not saying that that slavery in the American South was not a cruel institution. Of course it was. But the West, with its moral compass, found a way to self-correct these inequities, these excesses. And of course you can say, well, uh, those unfortunate people who had to undergo them, you know, it didn't avail them much that a generation later those practices were abandoned. And that is true. And we can only uh, feel deeply saddened by those instances. But at the same time, it is much better when a society understands that something is evil. And in its DNA, it has this impetus, this moral compulsion, you could say, to correct the evil. This is much better than societies that stagnate with that evil in them and just say, oh, okay, well, that's, that's kind of how it's always been. But that's what, how Eastern societies look at it. So, for example the great Indian civilization looks at people who are in lower castes, let's say, and even though they formally abolished the caste system, in reality it still exists. And they look at these people and they say, well, you know, they were just unfortunate in this, in this life to be born into this lower caste, and that's all there is to it. But they don't feel the moral compulsion to change the entire fundamentals of their society to make it more just. Whereas in the West, that's exactly what happens. And it happens imperfectly and perhaps too slowly, but it does happen. The West, in its very DNA, strives to be just and often fails. Nevertheless, it thrives. Um, strives rather, it strives to be just, it attempts to be just, it feels uncomfortable when it knows that what it's doing is wrong. This is exactly the situation with slavery in America. Men, especially in the North, but also in the South, felt that there was something deeply flawed with the institution of slavery. And yes, it took too long to correct it, but it was corrected. And it was corrected substantially only in the West. 
So if our enemies want to call the idea of West white, even though there are people of every skin color who participate in it, and, and people from every skin color who benefit from it, then we should simply embrace it and we say, you know what, that's fine. If that's what you call white and it includes people with every skin color, then we're proud to be white. Then white is simply good. Then white is how everybody should be. You know, because the opposite is immoral. The opposite, and you can have lots of white people who are partaking in that immoral stance, right? So that's how we deflect that weapon that's directed at us from our enemies. Choose to be free, my friends. See you next time.